So please put your hands together for Sarah and Lorraine of Learnt Up. Um, I'm Sarah. I'm Jewish. Uh, who here has listened to our podcast? Wow. All right. That's a very nice smattering. Yeah, it sounds like the whole room. Um, okay, now who uh, clapped and was lying? Okay, cool. thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. I actually don't believe him no. because I saw who it was. But you know what? If that was real, we would say, hey, like, that's okay. Thank yeah. you so much for being honest. That is what this podcast is all about. In a way, it is. In it, a way. It's like we lied for so long about knowing stuff, and now we're just all coming clean and being like, hi, hello, I don't know this. Yeah, hi, okay, I didn't completely finish that book, but yeah. now I'm going to. Yeah. Never saw Schindler's List, Spaceballs. Don't know what a pastrami Reuben is. And it's fine. And and it's like you feel all this shame, but yeah. there's no reason to feel it. So anyway, that's what we do. And the interesting thing about our podcast is we do all this work, like learning stuff. But the question is, like, do we remember what we Do we, we retain it? Do like, we remember it? Yeah. Or is it just like, oop, gone. Yeah. So we decided that to open the show, we're going to do a little segment that it's is called... called <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, woo. you guys are very, very kind. Yeah, um, thank you. So yeah, so we're gonna do this thing where we're gonna quiz each other on stuff that we know the other person learnt specifically for the show. Yeah, and we're they gonna see. Us that. It, yeah, yeah, like they, it came out of your mouth yeah. into my ears. Yep. I know you know this. Yep. All right. Do you want to go first or what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, so Lorraine, uh, do you remember how we had uh, an episode that we did about um, gangsters? Yes. So um, your gangster was Matulu Shakur. Yes. Stepfather of Tupac Shakur. Um, so Lorraine, before Matulu Shakur was number one on the FBI's most wanted list for robbing an armored car and subsequently going into hiding for five years, he had a surprising stint as this type of healer. He was an acupuncturist. Did I get it right? Did I get it you right? You did. God, Jesus. <laughs> I was learned. Lesson learned. Thank you. Cool. Uh, and then for, for extra credit, Lorraine, uh, where did he practice? Um, it was like, a it was this. this no, no. It was a clinic. Shut up. It was a clinic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shut up. There was a clinic in Harlem, but I can't remember what the clinic was called. That's okay. That's so good. Okay, let's do it again. Lesson, Lesson learned. All right. Yeah. Sarah, we did... No, no, no. I'm not going to set it up the way you did. I'm just going to ask you this question. Okay. Who from this list is not Jewish? A, Barbara Streisand. B, Jared Kushner. C, Mary Tyler Moore. D, Paula Abdul. Okay, this is a great question. Um, Lorraine knows that I have a little bit of shame about this. Um, I'm going to have to guess C, Mary Tyler Moore is not Jewish. That is correct. Okay. Lesson learned. Yeah. But um, isn't it so cool that Paula Abdul is Jewish? It's so cool. Like, Paula who? Abdul is I did not know. Not even like half Jewish, right? Like, she's full, all the way Jewish. All the way Jewish. Um, so cool. Okay. So. Lorraine, this is a bit of a heady one. Okay. Okay? I'm Put ready. on your Vassar cap. Uh, so we did an episode um, about gay icons, and I did Barbara Streisand, and Lorraine did Audre Lorde. Uh, I'm thinker, so writer, curious about how you're going to make this like a queer feminist. Question. Okay. Yeah, I know. This doesn't really lend itself to like fun, snappy trivia. Um, Lorraine, what did Audre Lorde mean when she wrote... The erotic is the nursemaid of all of our deepest knowledge. <laughs> Screw you, Sarah. <laughs> this is a ridiculous question. You because loved it. You got into it. <sighs> I know, but like, I got so emotional on this episode, you guys. Okay, can you ask it again? In yes. those, <sighs> God. Okay. 
what did Audre Lorde mean? And you know what? This is open to interpretation. This okay. What did she mean, though, when she wrote, the erotic is the nursemaid of all of our deepest knowledge? You guys, listen. You can't have all of yourself without the erotic. It is a part of you. It is a part of your life experience. So you can't suppress the piece of you that's intimate and just hide it away and tuck it away and think you can just like navigate the world as like this this like non erotic being. No, that is a part of you. And what you do to that will uh, it will sort of like inform what else you do. If you like repress that piece of yourself, you're going to repress yourself in other spaces too. So live out loud. Be who you are. It, it, uh, there was something else about it too. It was yeah. like we, like we as a society, uh, we delegate the sexual and the intimate and the erotic to the bedroom ex almost exclusively. But it's everywhere. It's everywhere we go, and we really need to honor that. Is that good? Yeah, that was really good. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, lesson. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did an episode about kosher seafood laws according to the Talmud. Oh, yeah. We did. We okay, did. This was an episode about Red Lobster that I decided I should have a Jewish component to it. So, real quick, I was just like, no. Okay. okay. So we're gonna go through we're gonna go through some fish and you're gonna tell me why they're not kosher. Okay? Okay. Shark! Dude. Okay. The shark is not kosher because it has fins and, and doesn't have doesn't have scales. That is correct. Okay. Lesson right. learned. Alright. Okay, okay. How about this? Uh, so uh, many cards. What about the 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 swordfish? Oh, yeah. Okay. This is a tricky one. That's tricky. It is not kosher because does it, like, have scales when it's a baby, but then they, like, fall off as it gets older? Correct. Isn't that weird? Is Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Okay, how about the sturgeon? Sturgeon. Oh. It's a fish. Sturgeon. Sturgeon. It's another hard one. Sturgeon not kosher because um, it uh, doesn't have scales when it's born, but it like gets them when it's older? This one's really tricky. I don't know. But that's okay. What Sarah explained on the podcast is that the sturgeon has scales, but when you prepare it, the scales don't come off naturally. You have to boil it in hot water first and then like pull them off. That makes it not kosher. You taught me that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. This is really gross. Okay, last one. <laughs> last one, and I'll leave you alone. Uh, freshwater cod. You'd think it would be kosher, right? I don't know, freshwater cod? Like, <laughs> just sounds like, I don't know, something that you like me might want to eat. Um, it's a trick question. Uh, we don't know. We don't know why? Question mark. What you said on the podcast is question mark. Nobody knows. Okay. <laughs> cool. All right. Cool. Well, yeah. Overall, I would say Sarah Isaacson, lesson learned. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, that was a great segue to my last question. Uh, Lorraine, please name at least two items included in the Admiral's Feast at Red Lobster. Fried shrimp and fried scallops. <gasps> ding, 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 ding! <laughs> Lesson, Lesson learned! And then I have a bonus question, okay. actually. Um, where on the menu are the infamous Cheddar Bay Biscuits listed? Well, oh... I, are they even listed on the menu? I mean, they're they're correct. <laughs> it was a trick question. Whoa! Okay, so you got me good. I got you. Cheddar Bay biscuits are served in lieu of a bread basket and are complimentary forever. Wow, that's a really cool thing. Yeah, I like yeah. that. You tricked me, but I got you. Lesson, Lesson learned. <laughs> All right, last question for you, Sarah. Which secret society had secretary? Sorry had Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin as a member. Um, Lorraine, I believe that would be the Skull and Bone Society at Yale. Dude, that's, you killed it. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. That was great, dude. Oh we, we did it. This went so much better than I thought it Me was going to go. Me too, by the way. I was terrified. Woo, goodbye. Bye. <laughs> All right, um, okay, so, so let's keep going. Yeah, let's keep on going. Okay, so guys, we have a great show for you tonight. I'm so excited. Um, let's go ahead and introduce our first guest. Um, what we're going to do is, if you guys have listened to the podcast and you all said that you have, um, we do this thing called sharing the shame sometimes where we'll ask a guest to come on and 
get learned up on something that he or she didn't know about, maybe like something to do with their identity, that they feel like, oh, I can't believe I don't know this. Um, and so our guest tonight uh, that we're gonna introduce for that is just so cool. Um, let's, let's see what we got. Uh, hold on. <laughs> Uh, okay, 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 okay. Oh my gosh, you guys, this guest has almost too many credits to mention. I'll mention a few. You've seen her on the UCB mod team the summer of, okay? She hosts Cool Shit Weird Shit, a monthly alt comedy showcase, also at UCB. She's been in a bunch of other shows here. Uh, she's also been in a, she also has a bunch of real world credits, that's neat. She's been featured on Funny or Die, Buzzfeed, and College Humor, and on TV shows like The Good Place, Adam ruins everything and crazy ex-girlfriend. Please welcome Ellie Wood. Ellie Wood. Ellie Wood. <laughs> Ellie, thank you so much for coming on our show. This is very exciting stuff. Thank you for having me. So, um, how do you guys want to begin? Like, do you want to just launch right into it and tell us what you learned up about? Yeah. Yes, I would love to. Okay. So, um, well, maybe I'll say, or no. Well. You know, this is, and thus the complication of it all begins, you know? <laughs> okay, so I decided when Lorraine asked me to do this show, I thought, um, what is something that I could think of, learn about that will have to do with my identity? Um, and so I decided to learn about when the one drop rule was no longer kind of applicable in the United States. Um, I am a mixed woman, I'm, my family is, African-American and Iraqi and Creole, and um, my sisters are both darker than I am, but I am light-skinned, and so, you know, they call me passing, which is a whole other thing you could learn about if you wanted to. Very related. So when I started learning about the one-drop rule, um, I initially wanted to learn about when it went away, but the more I learned about it, the more I realized that it actually n never really did go away, which is why we call Barack Obama black and... Um, Drake black when in fact they're mixed. Right. Um, so just for starters, what is the one drop rule? Yeah. It is a, um, a social and legal racial classification that is only found in the United States. Um, that means that, uh, that claims that any person that has at least one drop of African-American black Negro at the time blood is of black descent. What does that mean like one drop? Like literally if you're great, 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 great grandfather. Okay. Um, really far back. Really far back. Yeah. And then also the more I learned about this, the more I learned about other horrors that early our early forefathers did, which is that if you were Indian at the time, or Native American now, um, yeah. they were African-American people, black, God, the, the layers of terminology, you know, like trying to refer to it historically, but also PC right, now right, is right. very <laughs> difficult. So yeah. back you then it really was... You can't really do both. I know, of. you can't yeah. really. So... Yeah. Just pick one. Okay, so, um, oh, God. <laughs> Just do it. Just um, pick one now. Uh, okay, so, um, oh, God. <laughs> so, Ellie, what? No, I'm having meltdown. Okay, 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 what okay. do you need right now? Well, here's what I'm going to say. That I hope I'm not, like, ruining your flow, but I did not realize that the one-drop rule only existed in the United States. Yes, it that does. That like, speaks to my orientation well, in the world. I just thought all over the world people were doing this and, like, no. were scrutinizing, like, skin tone, who are you related to, mm -hmm. blah, blah. Well, it's oh. totally different in other countries, and we'll talk about Brazil. Remind me to talk about Brazil okay. later. Because Brazil, in fact, because It's the other way around in Brazil. So, um, so... I, so back to this Native American Indian point, um, back in the day, Indians were considered black people in a sense because, so if you were mixed, which often people were mixed, Native American, African American, um, uh, you were considered black, not Indian, which is actually how a lot of tribal identification went away because you were no longer part of the Indian heritage, you were part of the black race. Wow. So, um, this all started in the antebellum period, which is, some people say, is like the beginning of the United States, like when the documents were signed. And um, back then, it was, if you were one-seventh or one-eighth black, if your great-grandfather or your grandfather was black, then, or one-quarter, then you were considered black. And this was, you know, it had to do with, like, laws and things. But then, when things started to get 
more heated and you know white supremacy and um, anti-miscegenation laws and the segregation laws the Jim Crow era started to come in so this is like post-civil war now post-civil war yeah. yes um, it became well people became a whole lot more racist and isn't that interesting the way like you think we started super racist and then slowly have been getting less and less and less. You'd think. But if you learn about other cultures, like Chinese Americans went through, through this too, we started out uh, pretty bad. Yep. <laughs> but then we got way worse. And then hopefully we're getting better. Yeah, it's but weird. But I don't know, we're yeah. getting pretty bad again, so I don't know. Yeah, it's weird that, so you'd think that the one drop rule would have happened before the Civil War, but actually things were almost better before and then after things I, were worse. I wouldn't right. so much say like better or worse. It's yeah. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> I, I feel like it's more of like, uh, okay, I mean, it, this isn't that difficult to think about when black people aren't people. Like, they, this is my farm property. I write about them in my little notebook every year. A new one was born, another one died, whatever. Yeah. It's like, you don't have to worry about their rights or how you speak to them or how you address them or what they're allowed to do in the world when they're just slaves. So, better? I mean, no, that's horrible. Yeah. No. <laughs> but then, when um, there's this, this, like, the idea that these, these, like, pieces of property could have rights, could vote, could maybe exactly. could maybe like infiltrate other Mary, families. Mary yeah. people. Be, like, can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Then it's like, well, we've got to come up with rules and regulations that keep them in check. Exactly. How are we going to control them? Right. So I don't know. Uh, that's why it seems so much worse. Yeah. And also I learned that um, people wanted to enact the one-drop rule a lot earlier. But some intelligent people out there were like, listen, everybody here is mixed. We all have a little bit of colored blood in us. Literally, there's a quote that's like, everybody in this Senate room is mixed right now, and that is why we're sturdy and of purpose. Oh. Which I thought was pretty funny. Wow. <laughs> anyway. Um. <laughs> let's all, let's all like, let that soak in. Everybody here is a mixed person. That's why, what was it? Of purpose. Sturdy, sturdy and, and of purpose. purpose. Sturdy yeah. and of purpose. Yeah. yeah. So makes me feel I don't really important. feel that sturdy or of purpose <laughs> most of the time. I know, right? You're like podcast. tweeting from the toilet. Mm, sturdy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm mixed, so mm, whatevs. So I guess, you know, when it started to become more threatening and, and people were had more rights and, you know, people were starting to be allowed to vote, that's when the one-drop law came into real effect. And I didn't... I wasn't sure if it actually came into effect, but they actually enacted laws um, in Tennessee and, you know, <laughs> let's play a game. Let's guess all the places <laughs> that you could do. You know, yeah, Louisiana. Yeah, just have people set some Alabama. Up? Alabama. Shout one out. Mississippi. Mississippi. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Arkansas. Arkansas, yeah. Uh, yeah, where um, else? The ones where we don't want to live. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Sorry to our listeners in Arkansas and Mississippi and Alabama. Thank you for your clicks. You're <laughs> yeah. listening to Learn to Podcast. We have a huge <laughs> listenership. We have a huge <laughs> listenership in the South. It's actually, yeah, it's crazy. Just kidding. Uh, I don't think woof. we do. No, I, um, yeah, that's yeah. happening. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's basically the gist. And so that's what I thought I knew already. Not as in depth. So what I was looking for was like, okay, so when did they take those laws out of effect. But what I realized is like, I didn't know anything, you know, because this whole idea of um, having one drop of blood in, in you, I have been thinking about it my whole life in, as a way to claim my own heritage, because I often don't have that as a person growing up with people who are darker than me. I often feel um, like I'm not quite sure where I fit in. And so the one drop rule to me was something that I was like, that's a dumb name, like, but it means that I'm black and I can claim it that way. But what, what it really is, is this thing, this fancy word that I learned today called, um, it's an example of hypo, hypo descent. That's the first time I've said that out loud and I think that's how you say it, yeah. which means that um, the, when a mixed couple uh, mates, <laughs> when a mixed couple mates, the child is automatically um, placed into the racial category that is lower, so, so socially lower, yeah. so that, you know, the whiteness is preserved. Anyway, so I started talking to, I started talking to my mom about this, <laughs> um, and 
she was like, you know, the one drop rule, it was back in the day, it was for like, does it even matter anymore? Do people still care about it? Like then we talked about whether racism was normal again, um, and whether people would be, would care at all. Do you guys think, I don't think it matters anymore. Wait, wait racism? <laughs> oh, no. Wait, sorry. Okay, so Which I, it's just, wait, are you talking about the, the one drop rule? Does I'm it talking matter? about the one drop rule. I mean, I think it. I think it still matters. Like, because when you said that you wanted to do this um, for the show, I was thinking of it in that this like casual way of like how people identify others. That's how I was thinking. Yeah, about I was it. like, yeah, that's totally a thing because it's like when a person has any sort of racial mixing, it's like sure maybe you can tell that someone's got this European blood, they're white, but they're also something else. Mm -hmm. You um, you put them in a category of as like person of color, mm -hmm. yeah. even if like that person doesn't identify that way, which I think is. Really Really interesting because like the term person of color it doesn't have anything to do with biology it has to do with solidarity it has to do with Culture. you saying like I'm weighing into this conversation I, there's this piece of me that's oppressed and I recognize this other this whole group of people I'm a part of a bigger whole I'm a part of this person of color but uh, yeah I don't know I'm sort of speaking for myself like when I see someone and I see they're n clearly not 100% white I'm like oh cool that's like my brother, that's my sister, like whatever. And so that's where I was coming from. And then when I started talking to my, when I started talking to my yeah. mom, <laughs> I don't know. What is I going don't know. On? I don't know. I'm panicking. Um, when I started talking to my mom, uh, I realized that she was thinking about it the whole other way. And so I realized we'd been having this conversation about the one drop rule, and she had been thinking of it as this thing that was used to suppress people or to, you know, ensure white supremacy and I was using it as this kind of thing that like meant that I was part of something. It's like an identity marker, mm -hmm. like well, reinforcer but thing. People who hate Obama, they I mean they see him as a black person, not a half black person. Mm -hmm. You know? They don't see his whiteness. They mm -hmm. see his blackness. So Maybe some. I bet you there are some people who are like they sure they hate everybody, but they're like they specifically hate that he's a product of racial mixing. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. You're probably right. But, you know. Yeah, yes, but we call him our first black president. Yeah, well, he is our first black president. Right. But um, that's hypo descent. You know, yeah. that's that's what that Just is. Just automatically putting him in. Yeah. Yeah. And I had no idea that you were mixed, and I'm sure a lot of people see you as white. Oh yes, of course. Yeah. And also that is a whole different discussion about like whether. I feel comfortable enough to call myself black or whether I feel comfortable enough to call myself mixed. Well, and also, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if we have time for this, but like, I was just wondering, like, how do you interact? Because race is so, so much like tied up with like how you interact with uh, authority members, with like the police. Like, do you, are you seen out in the world, like, you know, kind of where it matters and where there are like consequences as like a person of color? No, not at all. And that's why I actually have like the most amount of privilege out of everybody in this room because I don't have to call myself white if I don't want to, but I totally am f totally great. I'm fine <laughs> with the police. They love me. <laughs> yeah. um, cops love cops me. Cops love me. They can't get enough, let me tell you. The next time we have you on the show, we'll put that in your intro. Yes. Cops love her. Um, I also wanted to say, you guys reminded me of when we were first getting to know each other. Um, one, I hope you feel comfortable with me sharing this. We were hanging out at a bar, and you grabbed me by the arms, and you were like, do you know, did you know that I was black? Was I drunk? I don't know, maybe a little bit. Because that usually I only say that if I have like, like a little. Are bit you awful. aware that I'm black? Yeah, and you your think eyes I just were so big, and I was crying. And I just said, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, and I do believe that. Like in my heart, I believe. I was like, I think I knew you were black. Yes, but like well, I don't know. Interestingly, well, I have two thoughts about this. I didn't really know that I was white until I went to college and um, wasn't around my family anymore. So people didn't know me in that way. And then also, I do get noticed on the street as being a mixed woman, but only black men recognize me. It's mm. that thing. I know. I think it's, they know too. They ask me constantly if I'm mixed, and I'm like, you're the only group of people that um, see that in me. That's really interesting. I'm sorry. Yeah. I said that so aggressively. It, no, <laughs> it is really that, interesting. That is That's really interesting. interesting. Ellie. That is so interesting. Okay. Well, anyway, I have some up. other yeah, things to talk about. Yeah, let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Okay, so... 
I thought was also interesting about the one drop rule that I learned is that before 1930, um, you had kind of different kinds of classifications on birth certificates. You had colored people, white people, and then you had mulattoes, which was like a term for, you know, we still know what it means. It's like mixed, a mixed person. Um, and specifically white and black, right? Or is it, what it's does it cover? Pr it's pretty like, um, it's like Louisiana specific. It's like Creole, like French, Black person in well, that's Louisiana. What it is now. That's like where. It, oh, that's what it is but now. It, before a mulatto was literally just a mixed person. Oh my word! And, and that was the word that they used for it. But then after 1930, the the southern the South lobbied the Census Bureau to take mulatto off, so you could just be black or white. Mm. And so all of a sudden, this like rich history of like a mixed kind of person was not that is there anymore. Like a race. Wow. Which is when the Native American classifications also went away. This is so. gonna take some time for me to like detach the term mulatto from jambalaya, yeah. Mardi Gras, right? <laughs> like Zatarans, like that's what I'm trying. Lake Pontchartrain, yeah. 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 Oh wow. Um, okay. Also, can I just say that what I learned about um, the Native American people, which uh, my family is from Louisiana, and they're um, specifically from the Abita Springs, which is um, I have always known I was like part Choctaw too, so. That's where that's from, but I, I learned that in the Native American Indian culture, we don't call it the one drop rule. They call it the Pocahontas exception. The Pocahontas exception? Yeah. Like, e, like E-X-C? Yeah, like the Pocahontas exception. What, is, what? what does that mean? I don't know, but it's gonna Pocahontas. Sounds cool. <laughs> so that's bad, huh? It sounds like a, law, like a law of physics or something. Stop like the Pocahontas, I don't know. Yeah. So. Cool. I don't know. Um, Before you wrap up, I got to ask you about Brazil. Oh, you got to ask me about Brazil. Okay, so um, obviously in the United States, if you have a little bit of black in you, African-American, or as we learned, Indian, you're considered black. Um, but in Brazil, they don't have that kind of racial white supremacy thing that we have going on here. So it's actually reversed there if, and they don't understand like why you would call yourself black. They'd be like, no, you're a white woman. And, and if you have straight hair, um, not that you do, if you have straight hair or light skin, then you're a white person. So like Rashida Jones is a white woman in Brazil. Um, and so I read this story online that was like uh, a man was, two black men were talking and one was Brazilian, one was American. And the American one was like, well, what do you think of this as a black man? And the black man turned to him and was like, oh, I'm not a black man. Ooh. Ooh. So they're just... Well, well, well. Mm. Interesting. Wow. Anyway, I also learned what the term griff is. Have you heard that? Nope, never. Nope. So they're octoroons. Um, this is like back in the day. One of my family members has the term Negro on their birth certificate too. That's just... Anyway, sorry. There's the term octoroon. Um, Which is one-eighth, right? One-eighth. Okay. Yeah, and then there's... What's the other one? I forget. I, I feel like I'm it? supposed oh, to Oh, quadroon. Quadroon. And then griff, which I had never heard before, is if you're one sixteenth. Wow. What is, where does that come from? I have no idea. Gryffindor. Gryffindor. Yeah. They're all mixed. They're, they're sturdy and of strong and of purpose. purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. That's, that's, what, that's what's that's emblazoned a, on the, uh, when the they're Gryffindor doing, house. When they're doing the yeah. sorting hat, mm. they're just deciding, like, what mind. degree <laughs> of black are you? Of purpose, this one. <laughs> sort of Yoda, <laughs> Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do we want to, like, open it up for questions yeah. a little bit? Okay, well, first, let's give Ellie a round of applause. This was really <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you. We have time for, I think, like two to three questions. Yeah, let's does, do it. Is, does anybody have anything like on their mind? You got to yeah. speak into the microphone to make it onto the recording. That's right. And we're, yeah, we all are going to make it onto the record tonight. By the end of the night, everyone's going <laughs> to have their voice on the record. Just well, kidding. Welcome to the stage. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Hello. Thank hey. you for being here. Hi. Um, great talk. Great uh, information about the one drop rule. Thank you for that. Um, my question is, can you remember when in your life you first realized that you were treated better in society as a white woman as opposed to a woman of color? Mm -hmm. hmm. I can't, but I can't remember a specific, I can't remember like the first specific instance, but I did grow up 
noticing a little bit that people treated my sisters and I differently. You know, I have um, two older sisters. One looks Middle Eastern, kind of, and the other one looks African American. And the difference between the way the three of us is, are treated is, is really interesting, I think. One is kind of treated as exotic and sexy. One is treat constantly underestimated and, and has since turned into like a perfect person. And then there's just me who, I don't know, people deal with. <laughs> um, that's what this is all about, right? We're just tolerating yeah, Ellie Woods. Yeah. Like, I guess Thank you can you guys do her so show. Thank you so much for listening like, to me. If anybody's ever? ears were bleeding, I don't know, come talk to me after. <laughs> all right. Happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Woo, 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 woo. We're so fun and cool. Um, <laughs> okay, let's keep it moving. We're going to do a little, um, well, I just actually, in honor of the, of the holiday, Lorraine, mm -hmm. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, um, who's the spookiest black person that you know? I believe that this exercise was who's the scariest black person you know. <laughs> okay, I think I was trying. I think I was trying to keep it like more, I guess I could have just said wait, scary. Wait, like, I'm scared that I did the exercise wrong. Is it the scariest black person I know? No, not like or your that family, but of. like, no, just like <laughs> that you know of, like, like, <laughs> who's the scariest parent you know? You guys. Um, no, but, like, yeah, just who's like a scary black person to you? You guys. Okay, we're, she's going to ask me about my thing, so it's not just me asking her. No, we're just admonishing random black people. Just, That's what this show is all about. We're just scared of black people so here. So scared. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Um, I am terrified of O.J. Simpson. Very yeah! scared. Scared for O.J. Simpson. I'm... Hell yeah. Guys, I'm terrified. He recently got out of jail. He's hanging out in Florida. He's really mad. He's so mad. And that's what you don't need. You don't need OJ getting mad no. again. And I have been talking shit about him the whole time he's been in jail. So if he catches wind of it, what am I going to do? He's going to slash he's me up and gut me like a not kosher fish. But Lorraine, I, I heard he was a changed man. I heard he's like... He's been, you know, he's been reflecting in prison. That's what he's, abusers he's, say. He's been taking like a women's studies class at a community college. He's, you know, he's he's ready I to be a member no of I have no doubt that he's been studying women. Ooh. I'm sure he's been studying their anatomy and how easily it is to break their necks. <laughs> he's the most, he's the scariest dude on the he's planet. He's so scary. Okay. It's crazy that people think he didn't it's do it. It's so crazy. Does anyone here think OJ didn't do it? If it's okay <laughs> if you think this that. This is not really a safe space, though, to admit that, to be fair. <laughs> we so didn't make scared. it safe. I know, whatever. Just, Sarah, who's, this, who's the spookiest Jewish person you know? Um, I don't know this guy, but Son of Sam is one spooky Jew. Am I right? Wait. He, I don't think I even knew that he was Jewish. Yeah, he, I just learned this today. He was born into a Jewish family and then was put up for adoption and adopted by another Jewish family. Well, mazel tov. So he's tov. a Jew two <laughs> times, <laughs> two times over. Yeah, Shoot. mazel tov, David Berkowitz. Like, good on them for taking in, uh, you know, an David innocent... David Berkowitz, like, <laughs> such a nice-sounding... Like, a, what a nice young man. I know, like, like yeah. David Berkowitz. I want him to, like, be my partner for my group project. Yeah, my study buddy. Yeah. I want to, like, build an Egyptian pyramid with him in seventh grade for social studies. Oh, these are scary people. Yeah. I think that is helping us get in the mood for Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, eat your candy. Think about O.J. Simpson. Okay, so should we keep this thing moving? Let's keep it moving. This segment, this segment of our show is called Black Booze and Jew Booze. And on the podcast, we usually just like say uh, like a black person we like or say a Jewish person we like. Yeah. And we just gab about how much we love them mm -hmm. and why we love them. And then we move on. But today we're so lucky because we have our very own Black Boo in-house and a very special Jew Boo in-house. Yep. So first, I'm going to introduce you to our Black Boo. You ready? Yep. Okay. Our Black Boo is telling a story tonight. He is a writer-performer who has worked on Drunk History, Cracked Original Videos, Kroll Show, and so much else. He can also dunk a basketball. Please give a warm welcome to Zora Bikangaga. Woo-woo! Hey guys. Hi, cool. Sarah. 
Guys, thanks for having me. I just want to uh, say I'm, I'm really honored to be a black boo. Um, yeah, so um, I'm going to be telling a story uh, about just a, someone that I got involved with romantically uh, that under normal circumstances I would have never gotten involved with this person. Has that ever happened to you guys? Yeah, we've all been there. Uh, yeah, uh, so that definitely happened to me um, in college. Uh, so I used to have this mentor uh, when I was younger who used to buy old property and like sell it and like flip it. Um, and he was like showing me the ropes of like making money in real estate. Imagine like a cross between uh, Archie Bunker and Tony Soprano. He wasn't like always the greatest influence on me. Uh, so he never wore a shirt either. Uh, and so he, uh, so he, in between my sophomore and junior, he bought this ratty motel two hours north of San Francisco, not like nestled by this algae-infested lake, and put me in charge of uh, running this rustic charmer uh, for the entire summer uh, when I was in college. And so this was the kind of place that was like heaven for you know uh, the type of person that was into like fishing and you know like dirt bikes and like Leonard Skinner. Uh, but for uh, a horny 21-year-old Ugandan-American college kid, like, this was my personal hell. Because <laughs> I was there the entire summer. Uh, so one particular day, which I, I remember to be like 110 degrees, like I'm running this motel, but no one is ever there. Uh, I'm like cooped up in the motel office, like just in front of the AC unit, watching an episode of MTV Punked, you know, just trying to like forget my reality. And this green Honda Civic pulls up. I see it pull, uh, pull up through the window, packed full of belongings. Um, so this guy comes out, he gets out of the, the driver's side, uh, stout guy, shaved head, tattoos, army boots, definitely looks like a neo-Nazi. Now, his, uh, this, this girl gets out of the passenger side, uh, and she, uh, she's tall, she's got like long, messy brown hair, uh, she's got like those like low-rise jeans, <laughs> And like, you know, like a tight white top with like spaghetti straps just like showed like a little bit of her hip, you know, like that, that mid 2000s style. Uh, just <laughs> like imagine like, uh, like if Natalie Portman was 5'10 and like trashy. Uh, this was like the hottest girl that I had seen the entire summer. Um, so uh, they get out and I'm like, what's happening? Uh, <laughs> It turns out that this couple, uh, they, they rent a room uh, like long term um, for like the month. And so uh, it turns out that this like sort of neo-Nazi looking guy was working like this natural gas job like out in the geysers somewhere and he was gone like all day. And this girl was just, would just chill at the motel all day uh, as well. And so I was there all day. Um, and in the evening I would go out and water our lawn with like a garden hose, you know, cause we're like saving on sprinklers. Uh, and uh, every day at, at dusk, and so like I would see her, she would like come out and have a cigarette like every day at dusk, and at first like, we would kind of say hi to each other, like, hey, how's it going? You know, and then like it grew to like small talk, and then, uh, you know, eventually we became like friends who chatted like every day at dusk because we were both so bored um, all day. And so eventually like I, uh, I find out that her name is, uh, is Angela, uh, but she goes by Angie. Um, and she tells me like 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 right from from jump like she's like I'm a ludicrous fan I'm into ludicrous I was like okay, <laughs> uh, and so um, I find out that her and her boyfriend Ben are from Oregon and that they moved you know for like this seasonal job, uh, and she also confirms the fact that that her her boyfriend Ben uh, is is a neo Nazi, um, but like it's his family you know what I mean like he's like changing for her you know what I mean because like she like, listens to Ludacris and doesn't fuck with racism, you know what I mean, like, so. Uh, so as the summer is, is going on, I'm like, I can't believe I'm like befriending this girl. Uh, but I'm getting closer to her, we're getting closer to each other, and I slowly find out that uh, her relationship with Ben is deteriorating, you know, like she's like venting to me, like Ben, like he's such an asshole, you know what I mean, like he's gone all day, I'm so bored, like he's not changing from his like Nazi ways. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're dating a fucking neo-Nazi. Uh, and so, meanwhile, my, my mentor, my shady mentor, like, he comes up to me, he's like, hey, so, uh, 
you know, I got these, uh, these, these uh, tickets to see the Temptations Review uh, down in San Francisco. You know, you want these, these tickets? Uh, so the Temptations Review uh, was basically like the Temptations, the Motown band. You guys know the Temptations? Uh, so it was like the Temptations with the only surviving living member and like a, just a bunch of uh, younger dudes. <laughs> and he got these like tickets. Uh, and he was like down in San Francisco and he's like, hey, Zo, uh, you, know, you, should, uh, you should take that girl Angie. I mean, she's, like she's into you. Uh, and I'm like, I'm not gonna like ask her, like her, her boyfriend's a, a neo-Nazi, I don't know if you noticed. Uh, and so, yeah, he, again, like my mentor was a bad influence. He's like, he's like, come on, Zoe, like what are you gonna do? Like, uh, would you, like pound your pud for the rest of the summer? Like, what, what are you gonna do? Come on, come on, like, she's into you. Uh, and I'm like, no, like I'm just gonna keep watching MTV Punk in my motel office, like I've been doing. Uh, and then I, then I thought about it and I was like, I don't know, like they're probably, they're probably gonna break up, you know what I mean? Uh, and I'm bored, <laughs> and I'm 21, so I'm not like thinking things all the way through, and like she looks like a trashy Natalie Portman. Uh, so, um, so I'm like, so I just float the idea, I'm like, uh, I, I mentioned, hey, you know, Angie, like I got these tickets to see the Temptations review, and she's like, oh my God, like I love the Temptations, like not as much as Ludacris, but like I love them. I'm like, all right, get it, you like Ludacris. Um, she's like, I wanna go, and I'm like, all right, cool, let's go. So. <laughs> Uh, Friday comes around, and Angie and I, uh, we take off to San Francisco after the boyfriend, the neo-Nazi, goes to work, and we head down to San Francisco to watch the Temptations Review, uh, just absconded uh, the situation, and uh, so we, the concert was magical, guys. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a Motown concert, but uh, I mean, they did like Just My Imagination, they did like Get Ready, and they like closed with My Girl. It was just like magical, romantic, and uh, it's impossible not to hook up after one of those concerts, uh, which we definitely did. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it, was, it was hot. In all the wrong ways, guys. All the wrong ways, but it was cool. Uh, so, uh, meanwhile, uh, so, so Ben, the boyfriend, gets back to the motel that night, notices that not only Angie is gone, but I'm gone too, freaks out, um, starts to search the entire like, small town for us. Uh, my mentor tries to cover up for us and is like, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Angie helped him go uh, collect rent like another property or something like that, which sounded <laughs> like a euphemism basically for us like hooking up. Um, and so... Uh, so he calls me, you know, and he's like, he's like, hey, Zoe, uh, this guy's uh, fucking looking for you, you know what I mean? Like, he's got, like, a gun in his trunk. Uh, and I was like, wait, what? Um, and so, yeah, apparently, like, he was freaking out, and he told my mentor that he had a gun in his trunk and that he was going crazy. And I was like, oh, I, I shouldn't have done this. Um, and so uh, he ends up, like, not finding uh, us, obviously, and we sort of waited out. Uh, and we stay actually like away from the motel for a few days. After the coast is clear, uh, Ben realizes that his girlfriend has like left him. He packs up his belongings, moves back up to Oregon, brokenhearted, poor Ben, right? Um, and so after the coast is clear, uh, Angie and I go back to the motel uh, and essentially live together for the rest of the summer, uh, which is cool, yeah. And uh, she, and so Angie wasn't, she wasn't necessarily like the girlfriend type, but uh, at the time, like, I was very, you know, I was pretty inexperienced uh, sexually, um, and, and it, it, was, it was an awakening for me, uh, definitely, uh, which, you know, it, happen, it happens, you know, during, during that time period, but, she, yeah, she taught me a lot of things, uh, but she was also very helpful around the motel. Uh, I don't want to get into too many details, because, uh, you know, I don't know if this feature, I don't know if this feature... Uh, she was, no, she was, like, really helpful. Like, she helped me run the motel as well. Uh, yeah, she was good company, too. But uh, we knew that this was, it was kind of like, and it, it was going to end at some point uh, because I was going to go to college, uh, back, to, back to school in the fall. So when the fall came around, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll give you a ride back up to, to Oregon. So we drove back up to Oregon, dropped her off. Uh, and we kind of lost touch throughout the, the year because I got busy with school and everything. And then May comes around, uh, you know, like eight, nine months later. Uh, and, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, like maybe on my way back down, like I'll 
rekindled this flame with Angie. You know, like, well, maybe she's still available, like, eight months later. Like, she's just waiting for me. So I give her a call, and she uh, sounds kind of distant. And, uh, and I'm like, hey, like, what's wrong? And uh, there was, like, a long pause, and she was like, well, um, I'm, uh, I'm preggers. She said it just like that. <laughs> I am preggers. And uh, there was just a, a pause on the line for what felt like 15 minutes. Um, and she was like, oh, it's, uh, I mean, it's not yours. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I was very audible with that. And she got very offended that I was <laughs> so relieved. And, and it got really awkward on the line. And, you know, uh, we just sort of lost touch after that. And uh, in case you're wondering what happened to, to poor skinhead Ben, uh, the neo-Nazi, he ended up going to jail on a, an assault and battery charge soon after that, so it sort of proved the fact that he probably had a gun in his trunk. Um, and so years later, I got a friendship request from Angie, uh, a couple years ago, actually. Uh, and it was always like this, this deep fear <laughs> that I was gonna like get this request and like see your pictures and like see your kids. Um, and I don't know, maybe they look like me. Uh, and so I, so I, I clicked through her pictures and I, and I saw a picture of her and um, like, you know, two like 12 year old kids. Uh, and those kids were so white. <laughs> Thank God that they were just lily white and it, was, it made my day. Um, yeah, that's my story. she's doing guys I forgot to set this up okay that's okay. at the beginning of the show set it up but also oh. while I set it up I just want to say okay so what I got out of that story was that like a guy could like want to be with you and then like he would like wait for eight months he'd be thinking about you for eight months call you excited thinking you're just waiting around for him Finds out you're pregnant with his baby, maybe, and is not interested all of a sudden. Nope. Very interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I would also love to know how she, what she did around the motel that was so helpful. Um, all right. All right, guys. Well, this is, this is almost the end of our show, but we have one last guest who we are so, so excited about. Before I introduce him and bring him up, um, I just want to thank everyone for coming. This has been our first live show, and I think it was a success. Um, and we're going to keep doing these. Thank you so much. We have to thank our network, What's a Creative, great podcast network. Thank you to Ryan Middledorf, head of the network, who's here tonight, and then also uh, Ryan Counts House, our producer. Uh, and then we also want to thank uh, our special music director who supplied us with our sweet theme song, Adam Isaacson, who's in the crowd in Thank you, Adam. Uh, and um, yeah, guys, just please go ahead to Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review us, please. We'd love to have your reviews. Um, we might even read your review on on air. We might do that if it's you Incentive. know. Yeah, famous. Um, okay, well. We'll hang out in the cafe afterwards, but now let's bring up our final act. So excited about him. He is super special. Um, he has a book of short stories coming out soon called Someone Who Will Love You in All Your Damaged Glory. Bang Your Knee, Bust Your Heart Open Love Stories. He is the creator and showrunner of BoJack Horseman on Netflix, which is now in its fifth season coming out next year. Um, oh, yep. Great show. Who doesn't love BoJack Horseman? They're, they're animals. Um, and also, guys, okay, guys, so he also was Lorraine's boss. That's so it's cool. True. Okay, please welcome our Jubu to tell a story or read a piece, Raphael Bob Waxberg. <laughs> um, hello, everybody. Hello, can everyone hear me? Yes, well, of course they can. This is how microphones work. Um, so this is something I, I wrote a, a little bit ago. Um, so I'm working on a, a book of short fiction, like she said, and uh, some version of this might end up in that, 
Um, but this version is just for you, uh, because this version is nonfiction. Um, this is called uh, Things Jews Don't Say. Um, before I start, just a round of applause. How many Jews are in the audience? Okay, good, that'll, that'll work. Um, the rest of you might like this also. Um, <laughs> things Jews don't say. This feels very old-fashioned of me to have opinions on what Jews do and don't say, like I'm Lenny Bruce or something. I understand that the Jewish experience is a wide umbrella under which sits a thrilling diversity of behavior and personality. That said, there are a few things I have never heard a Jewish person say. Number one, I'm on cloud nine. So, I don't know what cloud nine is. It was never explained to me, but the whole idea of clouds is very goyish, honestly. Get your head out of the clouds. That's what Jewish people think about clouds. I'm on a phone call with my parents after they get back from Connecticut, and my mother tells me that one thing that sets apart the Jews is our refusal to believe in the afterlife. It is this life that is important, she says. I don't know if cloud nine refers to heaven, but honestly, who has time to wonder when life is so short? Number two. Number two is also I'm on cloud nine because there's another reason no Jews say it, and that is its announcement of happiness. There's a lot to unpack here because first of all, who's happy? And second of all, who's so happy they have to shout about it from the rooftops? For starters, it's gauche as hell. Why should I be on cloud nine when all around there is so much suffering? I'm so special, I get to be happy? The idea that there could be nothing to be upset about is so foreign to me, but to brag about it, could you imagine the chutzpah? <laughs> Number three. One more thing about I'm on cloud nine, and then I swear to God I'll move on to something else. Because furthermore, <laughs> is there a single better invitation for bad things to happen than to say out loud how good you've got it? You could be the least superstitious person in the world, and even still you wouldn't say I'm on cloud nine, because why risk it? That's like being in a rundown cabin in the woods where legend has it an old witch died once and you hear a spooky sound outside and you go to check on it by yourself. <laughs> That's what saying you're on cloud nine is like. <laughs> My mother's cousin is very sick. I get the news in dribs and drabs, if at all. I don't know if it's that my parents don't want to talk about it or if I don't want to ask. Mostly the latter, I think. They went to visit her in Connecticut before her big surgery. My father tells me, depending on how the surgery goes, she might never leave the hospital. What did she do with my parents? She took them to see the cemetery plot she bought for herself. A modest little plot in a modest little graveyard on the side of a hill in rural Connecticut. After the sickness does its dirty business, that's where she will be forever. My father asks how I am, and I complain about my job. Number four, I can't complain. I actually have heard Jews say I can't complain, but I've never heard a Jew mean it. Let me tell you something about Jews. Jews can complain. Here is a short list of things I have heard Jews complain about. The air conditioning being too cold. An unaccounted for three cent surcharge on a phone bill. The rabbis, Dvar Torah. The rabbi in general. Bernie Madoff being bad for the Jews. The weather being unpleasant. A movie being too long. John Stewart going to work on Yom Kippur. Florida. Just all of it. My father also saw his parents when he was back east. I ask about them, and Dad tells me how strange it is to watch his parents get old. I'm always shocked by it, he says, because I don't think of them as old. I think of them as my parents. This surprises me because my grandparents have always seemed old to me. But now my mom and dad are about the age my grandparents were when I was a kid, and my mom and dad aren't old, they're my parents. There's a line in Fiddler on the Roof about that. I don't remember growing older, when did they? But of course the line is about children, not parents. Sunrise, sunset, swiftly flow the years. My grandparents actually sang that song at my parents' wedding. It's a strange song for a wedding, if you think about it, even though that's when they sing it in the play. It's not very celebratory. It's nostalgic, sad, a bittersweet lamentation on the passing of time. At Lin-Manuel Miranda's wedding, he sang with his new father-in-law to life from the same play, 
It's an incredibly fun rendition of an incredibly fun song, and I encourage you to look it up on YouTube. To Life is a much more exuberant number than Sunrise Sunset, and perhaps more appropriate for most people's weddings. It is maybe worth mentioning that Lin-Manuel Miranda is many things, but he is clearly not Jewish. <laughs> number five. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Why shouldn't you worry? For Jews, anxiety is a form of love. The most you could feel about a person is for your heart to be consumed with worry for them. Worrying is an evolutionary need. It is the secret to our survival. The Jews who worry are the ones who get out early. The Jews who worry are the ones who sleep with packed bags near their pillows, ready for any political shift to be a prelude to a genocide, an expulsion, an inquisition, an exodus. The history of Jews is full of cautionary tales and horror stories. A long, ghoulish march of the dead. The Jews who didn't worry. In Fiddler on the Roof, the wedding ends in a pogrom. For us, there is never happiness without sadness, never haroset without maror, never a parting of the Red Sea without 40 years in the desert. My father saw the original production of Fiddler with his grandparents. When the Cossacks destroyed the wedding, when they ripped up the goose feather pillows and tore down the chuppah, my father glanced at the immigrants next to him, nervous this recreation of violence might trigger something within them. His grandmother was not impressed. This they call a pogrom? My great-grandparents knew from pogroms. My father's father's father was stabbed in the back by his best friend, literally stabbed in the actual back because he was Jewish when a celebration for Polish independence turned ugly. He then decided Poland wasn't safe, and he moved the family to America, just narrowly missing out on a cool thing that happened later called the Holocaust. The worst thing to ever happen to my great-grandfather is the reason we're all alive. Number six. I'm sure it's nothing. <laughs> Let me tell you something about nothing. Nothing is ever nothing. You feel a lump, you find a mole, you go to the doctor, that's not nothing. Someone makes a face at you at the supermarket, someone doesn't invite someone else to a wedding, someone mutters something under their breath, well, a learned group of <laughs> rabbis, the learnedest, could litigate the significance of every so-called nothing deep into the night, never relenting in debate until their students collected them to recite the morning shema. But on the other hand, maybe it's all nothing. Maybe that's what we're afraid of, that when we die, there will be nothing because when we are alive, there is also nothing. I don't know a single Jew who hasn't, in the middle of the Shacharit service, looked down at the ancient words in the Siddur and asked himself, what am I saying and why? Judaism is not a faith-based religion, at least not the Judaism I know. It's a religion of community, of history, of, as they say in Fiddler on the Roof, tradition. These songs we sing, these prayers we recite these things we do or do not say. It's not because we believe the words or believe that somebody somewhere is listening. It's because this is what our parents did, what our ancestors did, what our distant descendants will someday also do. There's a string that runs through us, a story that connects us forwards and backwards through the ghettos of Warsaw, the rivers of Babylon, through myself as a child, getting ready for the Seder, my mother in the kitchen, my father setting the table, and the whole house filling with the smell of hard-boiled eggs. We put on our yarmulkes, we wave our hands over the Shabbat candles, and through these actions, we remember. Through these actions, the people we have lost become alive again. Thank you. Thank you. Raphael Bob Waxberg. That was amazing. Woo -woo. Wow, 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 wow. What a Jubu. This Such is, a Jubu. This is the best our Jubus and Black Blues segment has ever gone. Yeah, I think we really hit it out of the park with this one, Lorraine. Good well, job. <laughs> we just <laughs> we met tonight it. for the first time. <laughs> well, Isn't our chemistry great? It's so good. Um, guys. Yeah. Um, well, thank you again 
thanks so much for coming, being a part of this exciting inaugural show. Um, we couldn't have done it without you. And please remember to rate and review and subscribe if you like what you heard tonight. And if you want to hear yourselves tomorrow, by all means, please listen to the podcast because it's going to be great. Yeah, you did that. You made this possible. So thank you. I hope you guys have a good night. Um, that's it. That's it. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> Do you like hiking? Sure do. Do you like juicing? Hell no. Do you like getting your butthole steam? Sounds great. Then this is the podcast for you. My name is Nick. I'm Muriel. And we are the hosts of Hella, Hella in, in Your Thirties, a podcast about one couple's guide to conquering the dirty thirties. That's right. We drop episodes every Monday. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Why? Because you are Hella, Hella in, in Your Thirties.